0: Today we're going to look at the last few verses of Ephesians. So open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at 21 through 24. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about a news story I saw this past week. I believe it just happened this past week. Uh, It was something that happened in a city I used to live in, or that they're working on, actually, in a city I used to live in, South Bend, Indiana. It was not a major news story, but it caught my eye. A organization, an organization called Safe Haven, is going to be putting in what's called a baby box. Have you heard of these? It's an interesting concept. It's a box and they install it in the side of a an outside wall of a police station or a fire station and if somebody has a child, had a child, and they don't want the child, they can literally put the child in the box, shut it, and it locks. Now that sounds horrible, It's climate controlled. As soon as it shuts, it calls the police. There's a motion sensor in there. If it detects motion, it again calls the police. There's a button. If the mother that drops off the child or whoever wants to, she can hit the button. It calls the police. Now, as I read this, I was appalled on one level. I'm appalled that we would need anything like that. Because when you see a baby... The first thing I think of when I see a baby is just wanting to hold that child. Wanting to comfort and love. There's an automatic bond, I think. It's sort of universal between people and babies. And even if you're not a baby person, you should at least have some feeling that somebody needs to hold that child. Somebody needs to love that child. And to think of a child being put in a box to think of a child being cut off from the source of love that that child should be receiving, the belonging that that child should have. It's appalling to think that that happens. But my other response to this is how beautiful. Because that child, because that child is given the chance, is not cut off from belonging in a relationship with somebody forever. What made it even more touching for me is when I read the story of the 43-year-old woman who was abandoned as a baby and now, as an adult, has started this organization called Safe Haven. And so she is now rescuing children. This is beautiful. Someone who was given that opportunity, that chance to belong in a family, now giving that chance to other children I titled this series, A New Belonging. A New Belonging, the message of Ephesians for a Lonely World. Because I believe our world is fracturing. It is separating rapidly. Human bonds, families, nations are being ripped apart. And it would be easy to just talk about that at a social level. But the reason I love Ephesians is that he clearly, Paul, in this book, says these are not social issues, they are spiritual issues. They are sign and a symptom of the fact that what has truly been broken is our belonging with God through Jesus Christ. And so we've been walking through this book And for me, it's been a powerful reminder that in Christ, I have a new belonging, a new relationship. I am not cut adrift in this world. As often as we may feel that way, I belong to God, my Creator. And then, in the latter part of Ephesians, he goes into how we have a relationship with each other. The church is something powerful. It is something unique. It is something special. We belong to each other. Oh sure, we may fight and argue over things from time to time. We're going to have differences of opinion. But what binds us together in Christ is so powerful. And we are to be a visible, living demonstration of this new belonging so that the world can look at us and say there's something different there. There's something about the way you guys love and treat each other. And we can say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And so today we look at the conclusion of this book. And I want to use this conclusion as an overview because I believe Paul is tying in everything that he said into these last few verses. So let me read it for us. Chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. You're going to need a Bible open today. We're going to be flipping through a lot of places in Ephesians. And I'll say it again. If you really don't have a Bible, please take ours. It's my gift to you. We will get more. You need to have a Bible. You need to spend time in God's Word to learn about the incredible love of God expressed to you through Jesus Christ. So let's read chapter 6, verses 21 through 24 of the letter to the Ephesians. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may Encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, in love, with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, with an undying love. Now at first glance, this seems just sort of a standard signing at the end of the letter. But Paul is tying into several key themes that he's been mentioning all along. So first I want to talk about this idea of be encouraged. He's sending Tychicus to them to encourage them. Tychicus is a little-known character in the New Testament. He was one of Paul's traveling companions. We know of many others, people like Titus, Timothy, Onesimus, Priscilla and Aquila, Luke, just to name a few. There are many others listed throughout the New Testament. It's a beautiful picture in Paul's ministry that I think is easily overlooked. Paul was not this lone, super-Christian warrior. That's not how he lived his life. I think often we think, I wish I was like Paul, and I could just go all by myself and do all these amazing things for Christ. Paul wasn't like Paul in that sense. Paul had people around him constantly. And what was beautiful is that many of these people would live in a city where he went to, he shared the gospel so much like what you were just describing. They came to know the Lord through Paul's ministry or maybe somebody else that had come through. And then they grow in their relationship with Christ and they join Paul in his missionary travels. And this became a team, a network of people that Paul would use to share the gospel. And so sometimes he would send them ahead to a city he was going to and he'd say, hey, go there, I trust you. You go to that city and start doing some work there. Prepare a place for us to come. Get the people ready. Sometimes when he left the city, he would leave them behind and say, okay, the gospel has been planted here. A church is growing. Now you stay and help it to grow. Could you imagine somebody that had only been a Christian for maybe a year or two being given that responsibility? Others, like here with Tychicus, would be used as messengers. There wasn't a great mail service. And so Paul would write a letter. He would hand it to somebody and he would send it with them to the city. But it was more than just giving a letter. Paul says, I want you to go, Tychicus. And he tells them, he will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Paul had a relationship with these people. Even though he was hundreds of miles away, he knew that these people cared about him and he cared about them. And so Tychicus and his mission to Ephesus would give an update on what Paul was doing in his ministry would give an update on how Paul was doing, personally, as their friend. And then Paul goes further. He says, not only to know how we are, but also that he may encourage you. How was Tychicus to encourage the Ephesians? To understand that, we need to understand the nature of encouragement here. The word encourage here is not a pat on the back. It's not an attaboy or good job. It's not a, hey, I hope you feel good about yourself. It's much more than that. It's not just an encouragement to help somebody feel happy in what they're doing. The word for encourage means to entreat, to beseech, to instruct, to teach. The word there is to encourage somebody along the right way. Not just, hey, what are you up to? Oh, that's great. It's, hey, this is what Jesus Christ is doing. Are you following him? Keep going as you follow Jesus Christ. It's not just helping someone to feel better about themselves. Paul used the same word in chapter 4, verse 1, in case you're wondering if I made this up. Chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, says the NIV, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That word there is the same Greek word here for encourage. Do you you see the force of it in that passage? I urge you, this is important, live a life worthy of the calling. So Tychicus is sent with this letter to encourage the Ephesians. The letter itself is a great part of the encouragement. It's a part of the exhortation along with the witness and the testimony of what's going on with Paul. It's either to teach them about Christ so that they are encouraged along the way as they are following him, or to teach them and encourage them to come back if they've drifted away. That's the encouragement that's going on here. And then he says, Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. These words, peace, love, and grace... Form the backbone in Ephesians of Paul's understanding of the gospel. And so, in this final greeting here, in this final goodbye at the end of the message, he is reminding them of everything he has said all along. So, I want to look back over the message of Ephesians in three parts. Because Ephesians really emphasizes three different aspects the first is God's plan, the second is our salvation, and then the third is the church. And peace, grace, and love show up again and again and again as Paul deals with those three things. Peace is to be restored to a right relationship with God. It's not laying on a hammock on a sunny day near the seashore. Now, that's peaceful. (laughs) I would like that. That would be wonderful. But in Scripture, peace is more than that. It is justice at work. It is... Things happening according to the way God has planned and the way God is at work. Peace in Scripture is not always peaceful. It can be hard work. It can be difficult. It can be brutal. But it is the world and our lives operating according to God's plan. That's peace. Love. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Love throughout scripture, when applied in this way to Christ, to God, to the church, it is an unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. This is not our mushy hallmark greeting card love. It is the love of God expressed to us in Jesus Christ. And the grace that he talks about, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love, this is an undeserved favor. It is God giving to us something we do not deserve. The salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. So I want to look at these three things. Peace, love, and grace. First in God's plan, then in our salvation, and then in the church. We're going to fly back through Ephesians to look at these passages. Oh, it's not there, is it? See, you guys can see that my cup's not there and I can't. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Where were we? Peace, love, and grace in God's plan. God's plan at the beginning of Ephesians, really in chapters 1 and then flowing into chapter 2. Paul lays out this huge view of what God is doing. It's a plan before the foundation of the world in creation. It's a plan before the foundation of the world for salvation. It's a plan that has been going on ever since creation, all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and today. It's a plan that's going on here in Rochester. It's a plan that's being accomplished in China. It's a plan that's being accomplished in even the remotest parts of the world. God's plan is powerful. And so Paul starts with a really big view of God's plan. It is a plan of peace. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we want to understand what this peace is, we have to look at the rest of Ephesians. It is the peace that can only be found through Jesus Christ. It is a plan of love. Look at chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Here's that big plan. Why? In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. God loves His Son. And He gave His Son for us in order to carry out His plan. Why? Because God loves you. This huge plan of God from eternity past to eternity future, meets our life right now because God loves us. It is a plan of grace. Verses 6 and 7 says, all of this plan is to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's plan is all about God's grace. And what that, mean is that means is that everything in God's plan is carried out because God decides it will be, not because we deserve it. That's why it's grace. It's grace so that we don't get to take any credit for it. It's grace so that God gets all the glory for the carrying out of his plan. God has a plan. And it has never and will never fail. It is a plan for peace. Our peace with Him and with each other. It is a plan accomplished because He loves us. And it is accomplished through His grace. A plan for us to be with Him forever. Unashamed. Forgiven. Saved. That's God's plan in Ephesians. But then that plan takes shape in this salvation this offer of being saved from our sins and again peace love and grace play a huge role look at ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to understand what it means to be saved we have to understand the early part of ephesians chapter 2 chapter 2 verse 1 as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. And we talked about when we came to this passage and several others throughout Scripture, we must understand that our sin separates us from God. It doesn't just make us not quite good enough. It doesn't just cause a minor rift. Our sin, according to Scripture, makes us God's enemies. Now you might look at your, your life and say, well, I'm not really that bad. This is the very word of God with the authority of God and we need to accept what it says. I was raised in a Christian home. I never got into drugs and alcohol. I, I, I don't think I've done anything really hurtful, awful, majorly sinful in my life. But I look at a passage like this and I say, God, before I came to know Jesus Christ, I was a, re- a rebel against you. I was your enemy. I was under your wrath. I have to accept that. If I can accept my salvation through Christ by faith, I must also accept that I was a sinner. And this was me. And when I accept that, then I have to look at God and say, how could you love me? If that's truly who I was, a rebel, an enemy, how can there be any possibility of salvation? Look at verses 4-10. through 10. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated with us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, to be declared innocent, and even more than innocent, to be declared righteous, to be brought back into a right relationship with God, to the accomplishment of this great plan that God has, how is that possible? Grace. Grace. It is God's undeserved favor for us because Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place. He took our punishment and gave us His righteousness. That's grace that we did not deserve. It is a grace that brings peace. If you look down into chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, in this passage he's talking about the church, but he says, He came and preached peace to you who, who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. That's the peace he's talking about. We are restored to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's true peace. It's because of love. Chapter 2, verse 4, but because of His great love for us. Not because God looked at you and went, wow, you're really awesome. Not because He looked at me and went, wow, you're just so pathetic, I should really save you. It had nothing to do with those things. He looked at you, He looked at me and said, I love you. I love you. It hurts me to think of a baby being put out in a box. To think of the bond of love that should be there. But to imagine the bond of love that was broken between us and God when we rebelled against him, and yet God still looks at us and says, I love you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. And you don't deserve it, but I'm going to restore you to a right relationship with me. That's love. And it is through grace. In case you didn't catch it, Chapter 2, verse 5, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 7, In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. And verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. How are we saved? Who gets the credit for our salvation? The grace of God. Nobody stands before God and says, but God, look at all I did for you. We all stand before God and say, but God, look at all you did for me. It is only by Jesus Christ that we are saved. We do not, cannot earn salvation. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves. It is only through Jesus Christ. So Paul starts out and he writes about this big plan of God in Jesus Christ. And then he leads into salvation. He says, you become a part of that plan through Jesus Christ when you accept Christ as your Savior, by God's grace, through our faith. And then he goes into this thing called the church. The church is what is created when we are saved by Jesus Christ. The church is a new group of people in the world, people who have been saved by Jesus Christ, who are called to live in a relationship with each other. A relationship not determined by culture, not determined by ethnicity, not determined by any of the world's standards, but determined by Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That's what the church is. has nothing to do with the building. These walls could fall apart. The windows could go away. This building is just a tool to be used by the church. You are the church. I am the church. The people saved by Jesus Christ are the church. And we have a role in this world to be a visible, walking, talking, living, breathing demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This great eternal plan that is so hard for us to understand. Salvation that is by grace through faith that is hard for us to accept. Imagine people that don't know Christ yet. and So we become a bridge. They look at us so that we can point them to Jesus Christ. The church shows peace. Look at chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. For he himself, speaking of Christ, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And we talked about in that passage that there were these two groups in the early church, Jews and Gentiles. And the world looked at them and said, there's no way no way those people are going to get together. There is no way they could worship in one place. It would be a lot more efficient for them to just set up the Jewish church and set up the Gentile church. They can worship in their own language, their own ways, no problem, totally easy. And Paul, based on the authority of Jesus Christ, said, no way. Don't you dare destroy the gospel that way. He said the church has to be a visible demonstration of the peace of the gospel joining people together. We are to live in peace. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is one of the things as a church we have to work at. Peace does not come from just biting our tongues and sitting around and singing kumbaya. Peace comes through the active application of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our relationships with each other. That's peace. And it's hard. And Paul says, you've got to work at it. The church is a demonstration of the love of Christ. Chapter 3, starting in verse 17. He says in a prayer, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is at the core of our mission. It is at the core of our relationships. It's at the core of belonging together because we understand that we belong through God's love to him. And so we live that out. I don't look at you as do I agree with you, do I not? I look at you as are you loved by God? Are you saved by Christ? Then I love you. That's the foundation of our love. And then we go into chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, and he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. How is the church to function? Through love. Hard love a Christ-saturated love, a gospel-informed love, a biblically deep love, the love that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ is to influence, infect everything that we do with each other and with the world. We are to be a visible demonstration of the love of Christ. Now, you might look at this vision, this purpose, this mission as I do and say, there's no way. I can't do that. I can't tell you the number of times I come to church on a Sunday morning or even into my office or to a meeting and say, God, are you crazy? There's no way I can do this. You see, the power to accomplish what God has called us to do is the same power that saved us in the first place. It's His grace. We don't show up to these difficult moments in our lives or difficult moments of ministry and say, I got this, I can totally handle this. We show up and say, God's got this. I'm clueless, but He's got it. And His grace is powerful. In chapter 3, Paul gives a testimony. He says, you need to know why I do what I do. He says, it's because of grace. God gave me His grace. And as I go out, I'm sharing that grace with others. And the strength that I have to do it in is all because of His grace. It is God's grace that empowers us. And then, chapter 4, verse 7, Paul talks about the way the church is to function. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he goes on to talk about how each one of us has a spiritual gift. We have some ability given to us by God grace so that you can serve in your way and I can serve in my way and somebody over there can serve in their way and we all serve according to the grace that God has given us. So when people look at us, they don't say, wow, he's so amazing, she's so incredible. Hopefully they see through all of that and say their God must be really amazing because I know that person. There's no way they could do that on their own. It's all about grace. Our service in and as the church should be a demonstration of the power of God's grace. So that the gospel is not just proclaimed in what we say, it's proclaimed in the very way we do everything as a church. Our new belonging is shaped by peace and love and grace. It's God's plan from the beginning. It's restored in salvation through Jesus Christ and it's demonstrated in this messy thing called the church. Grace, peace, love. Now there was one that I skipped and maybe you caught it. In chapter 6, verse 23, he says, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith. I skipped this one because I wanted to end with it. This new belonging, the restoration between us and God through Jesus Christ, comes through faith. We have to believe it. We have to accept it. We have to trust who Jesus is and what He has done. Chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Chapter 3, 17, Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Chapter 4 verse 13, the unity of the church is the unity in faith. God's plan is accepted through faith. Our salvation is accepted through faith, and the church operates through faith. And so we have the letter of Ephesians. Antichicus would have taken this letter to the church in Ephesus, and either he or somebody else in the church would have gotten up to read it. And I said earlier that Paul wanted this to be an encouragement. I want you to imagine two runners on a marathon. The marathon really hasn't been planned all that well. And they're running through the streets of a city, a twisty, windy course. And the organization or the organizers of the marathon realize. Maybe they could have done a better job. And so they come over a loudspeaker and they say to the runners, remember that from East Street you turn right onto Main Street and then left onto Maple. Now all of this should have been laid out in the course. I assume if you're a runner, I'm not. But I'm assuming they lay them out pretty well. So these two runners are concerned that maybe they made a wrong turn. One of them hears the message. And she remembers that she did turn right on the main. And she looks ahead and she sees Maple and she knows she's going to go left on the Maple. She is encouraged because she's on the right path. She feels good about this. I'm going the right way. Another runner hears the exact same message. She remembers she didn't turn right on Main Street. She looks down the street in front of her to the next several blocks and she doesn't see Maple at all. She realizes she's gone the wrong way. Now there's two possible responses she could have to this. She could get really mad at the announcer and at the announcement. How dare you tell me which way I should go? How dare you tell me to turn this way? I can do whatever I want. I get to do it my way. I'm going to run the race that I want to run. She could do that. I think it'd be a little silly for a marathon runner to do that, but she could. Or she could realize that she's not where she should be. And she could listen to that encouragement and say, that's where I need to be. Which runner are you? How do you hear the encouragement of Ephesians today? Because God hasn't made mistakes. He has charted this path from the beginning of time. He has accomplished it through Jesus Christ. He is working through us, the church, today. Where are you? I pray that you have a response of faith. Faith to accept who Jesus Christ is. Faith to accept the salvation that is found in Christ alone. Faith to live this out as the church of Jesus Christ spread around the world but also gathered locally for the cause of the gospel. And if you're running that race and you hear the words of Ephesians and the peace and the love and the grace and the call to faith and you are following Christ, be encouraged. If you hear this and you say, I am so far away from this message this morning, you also can be encouraged. But may it be an encouragement that drives you back to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He has a peace in the relationship with Him that He wants to give you. His grace has already been poured out on the cross. There is a new belonging with God through Jesus Christ and a new belonging through Jesus Christ with each other. I pray that we can live that out as a church. In a moment, we're going to lead into communion, a visible demonstration of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just take a moment of silence. And think, where are you as you follow Christ? As you hear the truth of the gospel, are you running away? Have you gone your own way? And do you need to hear the encouragement to come back to Christ? Or are you following Christ and struggling and stumbling and you need to hear the encouragement? He's still at work. Keep going, keep trusting. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to take communion, I pray that we would be encouraged. As I think of a church receiving this this message from Paul, carried by Tychicus, and I think of the blessing that we have of the entirety of Scripture held in our hands, put on our phones, available on the website in every possible language. God, I wonder if we too are encouraged If we are challenged, God, I thank you for the peace that is available through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is accomplished through your grace that we do not deserve, and that is poured out for us in love. And if there's anyone here that is struggling, feeling like an outcast, feeling like their life just doesn't matter, they don't belong anywhere, that they've just been abandoned, may they see the love and the peace and grace in Jesus Christ and come back. May today be the day that they accept this new belonging with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And may they join with a church, either this one or another one of the great ones in the area or back home where they live or around the world, and may we, the people of Christ, be a visible, living, breathing demonstration of the power of your peace and your love and your grace at work. That in all things, we would point people through Jesus, to Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.